Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Ben Klempner to talk about his experience with farming in Israel. Ben is a husband and father of two boys and two girls living in the Jerusalem foothills. He attended the University of Montana, where he received a BA in American Literature and a minor in Wilderness Studies. He received his master's degree in social work from Barry University in Miami, Florida. Ben learned how to farm by reading lots of books, watching and listening to lots of videos and podcasts, speaking to farmers, and then jumped in headfirst to start a 1,000 container earthbox farm. Now he manages a small urban farm at a community center that uses raised beds, containers, and no-till gardening techniques using thick layers of straw mulch and a broad fork. Ben advocates for himself and encourages and consults other small-scale farmers, gardeners, and would-be farmers to carve out niches for themselves as municipal and educational farmers within their municipalities and educational school boards. Welcome to the show today, Ben. Hi, Greg. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for being here. That's for sure. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. So here's what happened. I was I was a therapist, a social worker. Uh, primarily, I worked with drug addictions. I worked with prostitutes. I worked with all all sorts of folks. And then we, we moved to Israel. And when I got here, I still had a bunch of clients that I was working with on the phone. And I was working with some of them for years. There was very little improvement. I started telling them. I don't know why I started telling them, but I did. I just started telling them, hey, guys, go outside. Walk around. Start a garden. Put your hands in the soil. Get your feet muddy. Wake up early in the morning and breathe the, the, the dew. Uh-huh. And they started doing it, and they started getting better. And within a very short amount of time, I was out of business. Oh my gosh! Because yeah, yeah, because they, they they were better. 
I was like, oh man, now I'm on a business now. Well, I guess I got to find something else to do. And I always love to be outdoors. Mm-hmm. My my life is outdoors. I I need to be outdoors. I need to be working with 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 plants and animals and soil. So I took my own advice and I started I started my own garden. But I really I went off the deep end. I started <laughs> <laughs> went off the deep I, end as far as gardening. Oh man, Greg, I I started a one thousand box earth box container garden oh, here wow. in Israel. Uh-huh. Not really much of a market gardener. Don't really like selling my produce. I don't really like haggling. I put a lot into what I grow. Mm-hmm. The best soil. We, we started from regular potting mix and we added fish emulsion and molasses and all sorts of good stuff, seaweed. And we, we, we went from just sort of innate soil to living soil full of worms right in those earth boxes Uh but i'm not really much of a haggler so i guess i'm really not such a market gardener within about a year i was out of business and i was like oh man (laughs) that's not good right so anyway about about three weeks after that i got a phone call from a woman who was uh a volunteer beekeeper for for us. And she asked me if I wanted a job doing some urban farming for a local community center. Wow. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You bet. A few weeks after that, I moved all of my earth boxes and all of my compost, all of my potty mix to this wonderful community center. Mm -hmm. And the best part of it is that I don't have to haggle. I get paid a salary and I have that security and that's what I love. It's just, it's, for me, it's the best of both worlds. It's, it's a salary with the security of a, of a stable income with doing what I love, which is gardening and farming and urban farming and teaching people and working with people, helping them to experience what it is to have their hands in the soil, what it is to water plants, to plant the plant, to weed to do all that stuff and you know as as a therapist there's all there's tons of metaphor in it all so i just love the metaphor right and i don't even need to i don't even need to work with people on the metaphor they just they're just unconscious mind gets the metaphor uh-huh. and and it just happens and i'm just so grateful to be a part of that amazing happening so, so that's how i got to where i am cool so i want to go back to that moment when you had all those people that you were working with for years on end, what was the spark that had you say, go get your hands dirty? I want to know more about that. Well, I went to University of Montana uh-huh. as an undergrad. And I went to University of Montana as an undergrad. I got my minor in wilderness studies. So I was always a big time tree hugger, walked barefoot in the on the trails, you know, as far as I was concerned, the best way to hike was, was barefoot. I was a barefoot hiker. And so I didn't really have far to go to become a barefoot gardener, mm-hmm. a bit of a hippie like that. Uh-huh. Um, nice. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's basically, it was, I was always, it was just sort of a return of what I needed to do of who I, of who I always was and need to be. So it's not like there was a change more. There was a return. A realization maybe. A realization, yeah, that that in order to be happy, sort of, and I'm I'm turning I'm turning forty in a, a couple months, so sort of a realization that okay, 
um, I'm hitting a, a point in life where I need to be very real with myself and being real with myself means I need, I need to do, I need to be who I am Yeah. and I am an outdoors person. I am somebody who loves working, working the ground, working the soil. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't try to, I can't try to be somebody I'm not by locking myself in an office and having very concrete, you know, 40, 50 minute sessions with people trying to always sell the next session, uh-huh. you know, and I, I just felt like that's a lot of what I was doing is trying to sell, going into a session, going into a therapy session already, trying to sell that next session. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, way, man, this is not <laughs> cool. This is not for me. I'm not doing it. Yeah. So I, I noticed for myself, I'm just turned 55 and I noticed that somewhere in my 40s, my life shifted and it shifted from a uh, get stuff done to, all right, what nurtures my heart? And it sounds to me like that's what happened for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a, a bit of both because uh-huh. I, I still need to get stuff done. I need to, I need to go out. I need a plant. I need a water. I need a weed. Uh-huh. I didn't make, I need to make sure that I'm going to be getting paid because I'm working for a community center. So mm-hmm. I got to make sure that I'm in the budget. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means I got to, I got to fight a little bit. I got to be proactive. I got to, I do got to market myself a little bit and let the administration know that I'm, I'm an asset. They need to know I'm an asset. They need to see that. I want them yeah. to see every time they go into that building or out of the building, I want them to see sprawling zucchini bushes <laughs> and sprawling cucumber bushes and sprawling. Yeah. And you know what? I don't, I don't trellis my cucumbers. I don't trellis my tomatoes. I want them in your face. Nice. Yeah, like nice. I mean, I want those people to. I, I want the the administrators of the community center to walk to, to like feel imposed upon by my zucchinis. You know, <laughs> well, with zucchinis, you can do that. Yeah. Oh, you bet. Yeah. So here's here's the best part of the story that you haven't said yet. Where are you doing this at? Okay, so I am doing this in the in the suburbs of of Jerusalem. Uh huh. It's it's an urban it's a really urban area right and whatever piece of land I can I can use I'm using so at first we started with concrete and I had all those earth boxes that I needed to use anyway and I had all that that potty mix that needed to go somewhere so I filled them up uh-huh. but then we wanted to expand and there was a big piece of brownfield I, I guess it's called brownfield right? yeah exactly. Yeah, so a, a fairly large brownfield, uh, a little bit down the hill from the community center, but on the community center's official property, and we wanted to expand, but we had very little budget and very few resources. So what did I do? Well, Greg, I watched your video uh-huh. on on starting. Uh, Starting a lasagna garden. Oh, the sheet mulching video. Yes. The sheet mulching video. I love it. I love your sheet mulching video, man. It's it's really, oh, what a good video. All of your listeners should watch that video. Well, thank you. And so I watched your sheet mulching video, and I bought two bales of straw. Each bale is a half a ton. So oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. So we're talking about one ton of straw. That was a lot of fun. So I, I made rows out of the straw. Just rows, so it's basically it looks like a farm uh-huh. with 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 raised beds. Only the raised beds are made out of straw mm-hmm. because it was a brownfield, so we couldn't like we couldn't grow anything. There's nothing would grow in it. There was no point. And also, I want fast results. 
partly because of what I, I was just discussing, that I, I, I want the administration to really view me as an asset, not a liability. And if things take too much time, oh, they're yes. going to view that as a liability. Uh -huh. Oh, he might do great work three years from now, but he's on our he's he's getting we're, we're allotting to him a budget uh -huh. and he we want results now we don't want results in three months from now so i mean we don't want results in three years from now right two years from now one year they, they want results right then so i got this brownfield got to do something with it i also wanted to regenerate it uh -huh. i wanted to make it living soil so i read laura wheeler's book the the edge of eden which is a great book, uh -huh. and it's sort of Laura Wheeler's riff off of Ruth Stout's book. Oh, nice! Uh, yeah, yeah, and um, but but Ruth Stout's book is is not quite as actionable as Laura Wheeler's book. Ru Laura Wheeler's book is very actionable with super cool ideas. Uh -huh. Like uh, she's got this one idea of of adding mushrooms to your to to, to your raised beds. Oh, nice. So how did, of course. Yeah. And what is she? How does she do it? She says, "I mean, what a brilliant idea." She says, "What you do, one is just to, to go to the store and get get one of those mushroom kits. You know, like you order one on. Oh on yeah, Amazon. I saw those recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah just just order a few on Amazon and break it open and toss the spores onto your raised bed. And she said, "You're gonna get you're gonna get mushrooms, and those mushrooms." are going to break down those wood chips further and give more nutrients to your plants. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. You get faster compost, you get delicious, tasty mushrooms, and you get giant-sized produce. She says another way of doing that is going to your going to your local health food store, buying some organic mushrooms, uh -huh. uh, popping off the caps, cooking them up, whatever you want, and then taking the taking the stems putting them in a blender with some water, blending it up, and then sprinkling it onto your... No onto way. Your, yeah, she says, and by doing that, you're basically just taking the spores, living spores, and putting them on your 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 straw or wood chip raised bed. It's uh -huh. gonna, those spores are going to take, and you're going to have mushrooms, and you're going to have uh, you're gonna have really good produce oh, yeah. being fed by the mushrooms. Nice. So... Yeah, so so I read her book. I watched her video. Read Ruth Stout's book, and we got some compost. Same that you, same as what you, I saw you do in your video. Uh -huh. The one thing I did is I broad forked. I broad oh, nice. forked the whole area. Yeah, yeah, just to give a little bit extra depth to that area. So go ahead and then, tell tell our listeners what that means, just so so the people that don't know we know. Okay, so a broad fork is it sort of it looks like a giant size, like a dinosaur sized pitchfork, and it's got four or five like eighteen inch tines, these super strong tines uh -huh. with a bar, and it's got two handles, one on each side, and then a bar on it, and you sort of slam it into the ground, stand on the bar, work it in, and then pop up the earth, and it maintains the soil structure. Allows for deep aeration, deep oh, yeah. irrigation. Perfect. Doesn't kill the worm life and the micro the microbiology mm -hmm. as a tiller would, because a tiller just pulverizes everything. Exactly. Dust. So this actually allows the the tilth to continue living, but gives it a nice gentle a nice gentle sort of shake up. Right. Gets, um, gets airspace in the space. Cool. 
Yeah. And so I brought forked, and then I did everything that I saw you do on the video. Uh-huh. I laid down that straw and made little divvies with my hand and dumped, you know, just tossed in some compost, really good high quality compost in those in those divvies mm-hmm. and then planted seeds. I decided at that point not to put in a drip line. Instead, I decided to use reg- a regular hose. Oh, uh-huh. But not, to, but not to do it myself. I took a lesson. There's a great urban farmer <laughs> named Joseph Perdue. Uh-huh. And he's with the Hell's Kitchen Farm Project in New York City, right next to the New York City Port Authority on the roof of the Methodist Church over oh, there. Oh, nice. And he's growing, check this out, Greg. He's growing in 51, 51 kiddie pools. Full oh my of gosh. high quality compost. Yep. <laughs> yep. And yeah, it, a great website. It's what uh, Hell's Kitchen Farm Prize. So it's uh, HKP, Hell's Kitchen, HKFP.org. Wor- worth looking at. And so this guy, he, um, uh, th- this guy, Joseph Perdue, great farmer. And rather than putting in a drip line, he, he just has hoses and watering cans and volunteers come and he gives the volunteer something to do. Uh-huh. So it builds a community around yep. his farm, which is what he wants. He doesn't want just want there to be a farm for himself. Uh-huh. He wants the farm to be a community. So by having those opportunities and once you put in a drip line, th- things probably would grow better and it would be a lot less hassle right. if I just put in a drip line. Yep. I'd probably get bigger produce mm-hmm. and it would be less hassle. But then there's the trade-off, and the trade-off is less community. Yeah, so you're not engaging really the community. Yeah, not engaging the community, and I want to engage the community. And I, my, my, my feeling is that to have the long-term success that I'm after, yeah, I've got to engage the community. Nice. So I have yeah. to know when did you put the straw bale or the uh, sheet mulching in? It was about. Two months ago, oh. so we're talking about recently. All right, and already good. we have we have some nice, really nice results. Uh, Tell me about the, it. The, well, the 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 straw retained. Well, it, it, it's like what was Manasobo Fukuoka in his book, The One Straw Revolution. Yep. Right? Yeah. Um, that straw just it breaks down fast and oh, retains yes. the water. And there's an interface. What I've discovered is there the interface between the straw. And the soil, uh-huh. and remember I told you, it was a brown field. It was right. dead. It, was in, it wasn't dead. It just wasn't alive. It was innate. That space is now returning to life. And we're, we're talking about eight weeks. Like, it's returning to life in eight weeks. Yeah. Of just, there's worms there. There's <laughs> lots of worms. And the soil looks like it's developing a tilth. So I've heard people say that to reclaim land hey, look and i've only been farming for like two and a half years I'm, uh-huh. I'm a newbie farmer i've heard people farming for years and years with loads of experience say well it takes years to reclaim soil well it doesn't really take re- take years to reclaim soil it takes an initiative and a little bit of creativity yeah and we don't really need to reclaim soil at all it's not our job it's nature's job to reclaim itself and nature can do that very fast so by putting down that straw I'm just allowing nature. I'm giving nature a chance to reclaim nature, uh-huh. and and it's happening. And it's happening. It happens fast, and it's just God, it's, it's an exciting process to watch. Oh, yeah. it's, it's an exciting process just to to be involved with. I mean, I really try to be an invisible. Like as a therapist, uh-huh. I had this one professor, Mark Smith, 
at Barry University in Florida. And Mark told me one just great piece of advice as a therapist. I think the same piece of advice holds true for farmers. Oh, tell be me. In, be invisible. Become invisible. Mm. He said the best therapist is an invisible therapist. Yeah. So when I'm at the farm, I try to just be there, be present, but in a very invisible way. That I let the process happen. Right. So how are you engaging the community? Is there lots of people involved? Tell me about that. Well, we have about 15 volunteers who come on a weekly basis. The way mm -hmm. I set it up was each volunteer commits a half hour, one day a week to come water, weed. Uh, if they see some trash that's been thrown over the fence, pick it up, throw it out. So we're only talking about a half hour commitment once a week. And once the produce starts coming on, and already we're starting to see zucchinis and cucumbers, <laughs> they get to pick for themselves uh, uh -huh. um, a shopping bag full. So it's sort of like a work share. And then we have then then we have uh, young people, uh, kids who are between the ages of six and eight, uh -huh. and they get to water. And they get to weed and they get to work the soil every now and then. I have all sorts of cool little farm tools that they get to use. And then we have a group of adolescent boys who are developmentally disabled. Uh -huh. And they also get to learn the business of farming and what that's all about. Um, and I think I'm going to set up a program for them where they get to sell. They get a little section of the farm oh, and yes. they're going to get to sell what they grow. So this way they also learn about business and handling yeah. money and finances and the responsibility of it. So, so then there's that group and I'm psyched for those guys. And then every now and then we, we, we get, we just get random volunteers that just somehow hear about us and just want to come by and, and play put their hands in the soil. And yeah. I'm just psyched for the, for an op to, to be part of that. Yeah. Excellent. So, What's your vision for your urban farming project 10 years from now? Oh, wow. That's a great question. 10 <laughs> years from now. A really large food forest. When I say a large food forest, I guess I'm not, you know, this, this phrase just sort of popped into my mind as you asked the question. Uh -huh. I don't want to say a food forest. I want to say an edible city. What I mean is oh, every that's so much parts. better. Yes. Like, I want there to be an edible city. Uh -huh. So I want to plant trees and little perennial vegetable gardens all around. In Fukuoka's book, One Store Revolution, he writes about how if you just let even a, an annual go to seed, eventually that annual, and actually uh, Laura Wheeler writes about it in her book, The Edge of Eden. Uh -huh. uh, there's a whole chapter about it, how if you just let annuals just go to seed and do their thing, they'll come back the next year because that's that's really what they want to do. And in a sense, all annuals are perennials. Oh, yes. So, you know, just, just to, to, to plant trees all throughout, but I mean, edible, fr fruit trees. And, okay, I mean, like, you know, a lemon tree here, a lemon tree here and there, uh -huh. but... But really, food that that's 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 really edible right away, like apricots, plums, peaches. Sort of, you know what? Sort of like what 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 you and Jake Mace did uh -huh. in your yards, right. but on a city scale. Oh man, I love it! So you could just like walk through the park, walk through your local park, and 
pick a plum or, you know, grab a tomato and just take a bite out of a fresh tomato. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it would require some some maintenance, not a lot, because I really want it to be sort of perpetual. Right. Uh, I mean, like permaculture, like hardcore, like permaculture so <laughs> much that it's sort of like like nature forget about it. Yeah, let let nature do it. Yeah, you nature's, know, nature's farming. Yeah, you know, it's just sort of that concept of becoming invisible. Mm -hmm. You know, becoming the invisible farmer, just stepping in just enough that you initiate the process, and then stepping back and letting nature continue the process. Mm. I think, in... and every now and then, stepping back in when when necessary. Yeah, and knowing when it's necessary to step back in. Again, just let the process continue. Re, you know, just spark it up again if it needs, and then step back again that comes from the observation piece of permaculture where we just stand back and yeah. watch put systems in place and then stand back and watch some more yeah yeah love it i love that vision i think you know we we as humanity need to have that vision more and yeah. that's well, and that, know, yeah and that's probably not surprising coming from me huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a good you know we, we, we we need to have that vision. We need to, to take steps and just, you know, there's so many ornamental trees around here I that, know. you know, but people, oh, Greg, I got to tell you this story. Please. Um, a friend of mine and I went foraging plums last year uh -huh. and there was this plum tree that was, it must have been about 40 feet high, just laden with, with plums the size of, of baseballs. Oh, wow. And just like these big plums which were so juicy just one bite out of them it tasted like a plum as it was supposed to taste uh -huh. and the juice from this plum just just ran just oozed down <laughs> your, your arm it was yeah. so juicy and it wasn't like sugary sweet it had a tartness that uh -huh. was just balanced with the sweetness and a bitterness and a uh, what, what they call in, in Japanese I think uh, umami like a savoriness oh yes it was just like oh, it was. It was the perfect dessert, and me and this buddy of mine were just were just enjoying ourselves. Uh, but it, it was on somebody. It was in somebody's yard. Before we went in, we knocked on the door, and the woman of the house was very happy to let us in and pick our pick our plums. Uh, very wealthy neighborhood. Very well-to-do neighborhood. This woman comes out and is watching us, sort of like a little bit perplexed. Like you're eating fruit off of a tree <laughs> I know. isn't that crazy <laughs> yeah, I, have a, yeah, yeah. I have a neighbor like that you know it's, yeah, yeah. And, like, and she sort of asked us a little bit hes hesitantly like D do you mind if if i also have a plum we said absolutely like they're your plums please <laughs> we handed her a plum and she ate it and she took a bite out of it and her eyes just like whoa it was like a eureka moment like this is good food and she right was in so her backyard, she, right in her backyard. And, we yeah. were, and she was thanking us. Like, thank you so much for allowing me to be part of this experience. And I'm like, well, thank you so much for letting us <laughs> the plums off your tree. And then as we left her house, we, we asked her, hey, Mrs. So-and-so, you, you want a bag of plums? And she said, oh, no, no, you you, you take them. Look, I, I buy all of my fruit at the market. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you do that. It's funny. It's fun. I know. It's funny when people don't make that connection truly where food comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe part of it has to do with this mentality that had to do with lawns. There's a woman yeah. who wrote a book, a really good book, worth worth reading. Uh, um, her name is 
what's her what's her name? Her name is the name of the book is Food Not Lawn. Yeah, that's Heather. He- Heather Flores. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great book. She writes that that really lawns came about at the end of World War II as a sign of affluence. Like, yeah. I don't need to grow food. People used to grow food in their, right, their yards. Exactly. Everyone did. And it was sort of this like, no, I don't need to be growing food. Mm-hmm. I can buy my food. Yeah. It's like, okay, buy your food. And it, and it <laughs> sticks. Is good. I, think that's yeah, our, I think that's a big part of our job these days is to get people educated out of that model, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's the education of it. And, uh, I know the, the food tastes so good. My kids go out onto the porch. I live three flights up. I got a, my own personal garden. It's a tiny little garden on the porch, and, uh-huh. and we got so much growing there. And we, they, my kids go out and they just pick a leaf of kale and just eat it. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. So I'm going to shift a little bit on you, and I want you okay. to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Time I failed. Well, okay. I failed so many times throughout my life. <laughs> welcome, welcome and, to life, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and and I could I I've been thinking about this question because it's a question that you usually ask. Uh-huh. And rather than saying one specific time, or because I, I can't, I've, I've fallen and failed so many times. I can't choose one over the other. But what I can say is there's one consistent theme. Oh. Oh, nice. And hit on that theme today, thinking about the question that, that I was going to be asked. And the theme, the theme is allowing myself to be used as cheap labor. Oh. Yep. Whether it's, whether it was, you know, after I first started, I first graduated social work school and I was working, I was, I was working for a community center in Brooklyn, New York. Uh-huh that a, a community mental health center in Brooklyn that wasn't that was not paying me what I needed to be earning or as a farmer trying to run a CSA who was charging too little for his for his produce that was top quality mm-hmm. or whether it's working for a community center that is maybe not paying me as much as they ought to be paying me right. and that comes to me to say hey I got to stop now I got to take a step back and not not do more than I'm getting paid to do, mm-hmm. which for me is very difficult. So if I have to say a time when I when I when I fail, it's every time I work more than I really ought to be because I'm not getting paid to do that extra work. Yeah. And of course I don't mind doing extra work, but like there's a limit. And when I pass that limit of a conscientious worker putting in hundred fifty percent to a fool who's allowing himself to be used for cheap labor and as such isn't going to be making more because I'm not viewed as more. I'm just viewed as somebody who's just going to work for less. That's my, that's a failure. Yeah. When I think a lot of it is learning how to say no, because I get a lot of people weekly, I get people contacting me. Can you come and speak here? Can you help with this community garden? And there's a boundary I have to put in place for myself. And it sounds to me like that's, that's part of your process too. Oh, it, absolutely. That's part of my process. And yeah. every, every time I botch that up, that's a failure. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I, but, I, yeah. I, I'm laughing not at you. I'm just laughing at myself because I do it too. Well, you know, like, I think a lot of us, us uh, sustainable farmers, urban farmers, we, 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 we're not in this for the money. We're in this to really make a Change better the world. world tomorrow. Yeah. And, and it's hard for people like us to say, to say no. When, when there's an opportunity to actually make a better world tomorrow and we got to say, you know what, 
I hope it happens, but it's not going to be at the expense of me being used for as, as cheap labor because that that just cheapens the whole process. That that yeah. actually is counterproductive in the long run. Yeah, beautifully and, said. And it, yeah, beautifully said. So, what do you consider your biggest success? Stay in the race. Stay in the race. Say more about that. S- staying in the race. Just after I, like, there's so many times I could have just sat down and just introduced myself to you know good old Johnny Walker, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, and just and just stayed out of the race permanently, you know, you know, after after I terminated with all of my clients because really they did very well and they moved on, but I could have said, oh, I'm out of clients now, forget it. Hello, Johnny Walker, you know, hello, Jack Daniels. Yeah. Could have done that, you know, but I didn't, you know, I just, I kept going and started a farm. We grew great produce. We did so, it was phenomenal. It was really good, but didn't work out from a business standpoint. I did learn how to grow food. That was a very valuable thing. Yeah. I could have just moved on and said, or not moved on, but just sat down and just said, that's it. Forget it. And, but I didn't. I said, you know, I mean, I, I did have good luck. You know, it was definitely, you know, God blessed me with with a friend who offered me a job farming for a community center. Nice. But but even still, it's it's a constant advocacy. And, mm-hmm. and so the success is a constant advocacy for myself, advocating for myself, getting back up, just staying in the race. Yeah. Advocating, telling, telling my I have the, the, the director of the Matnas is a wonderful man. And just advocating for myself with him that he should be including me in the next budget and expanding the programming. And he's a great guy with a big vision, uh-huh. a vision of community, a vision of a vision of growing food, a vision of really of, of edible of edible cities. And so, so just, he gets uh, it. Yeah, he, he gets it. But you know, it, it, it's really but still about about advocating and, and not oh, yeah. letting him forget me. You know, yeah, and, and exactly. Just advocating. Nice. Nice, nice. So, and, and and that's something all farmers need to do because, oh, yes. like, especially like us urban farmers, we gotta we gotta advocate. We gotta go to townships. We gotta go to town halls or school boards and say, "Let me be your your urban farmer. Let me be your farmer." If you got if you got a football if you got a football field and a football coach, you guys need a <laughs> farm and a farmer. Yeah, you guys need a school farm. You guys need a school farmer. You know, for, forget football, man. That's not feeding anybody's any anybody's stomach. You know. Yeah. Beautifully said. I mean, yeah. Beautifully said. So, what drives you? What drives me? Just a desire for a better tomorrow. Just, just, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, just having a relationship with God and and having a relationship with with the land mm-hmm. and having a relationship with my fellow man. I, I think that's really what it is. It's, it's those three relationships, a desire for those three desire for a relationship with God, relationship with the land and a relationship with my fellow man. That's, that's what drives me. Wow. Beautifully said, beautifully said. So I'm all about education. I have to know, is there one, maybe two or even 15 books that you have? <laughs> <laughs> there are, there are. So I would say the one book, that, and I'm, I'm just talking about agriculture. I'm not talking yeah. about anything other than ag. Uh, so the the first book I want to say is a book called uh, a book called The Edge of Eden. I mentioned it earlier by Laura oh, yeah. Wheeler. Yeah. And to the best of my knowledge, it is only available as a Kindle. Oh. Or I don't know, it, it is a digital book. I wish it would be available as maybe you can order it on her website. Uh huh. In 
is a paper copy. It's such a good book. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's 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 not really permaculture, but it is. She doesn't mention permaculture that I can recall in in the entire book, uh-huh. but all of her ideas are really permaculture ideas mm, and mm-hmm. of just letting nature do the work and you stepping back. Lots of mulch, lots of common sense also, just being in relation with the farm, being part of the process, not making the process work, just being a participant and, and almost like a, at a point, a very passive participant. Uh-huh. And so that's a great book. And then the other book that really I would say every – I can't say – I mean I have a list of 15 books and they're all worth reading. But there's a writer uh, by the name of David Mas- Masumoto uh, who wrote a book called Epitaph for a Peach and Wisdom of the Last Farmer. Oh, and he's, yeah. he's a peach farmer mm-hmm. in, uh, in California's Central Valley. While most of us probably are not going to become peach farmers on 80 acres, he has. Oh, he's, first of all, he's a wonderful writer. His way of writing communicates not just how to grow peaches, but how to be a farmer. It doesn't matter whether you're an urban farmer in Oakland, California, or you're farming on over 400 acres in, in rural Nebraska. Uh-huh. He, he expresses, in a way that Wendell Berry also does, how to farm, just how to be a farmer. Uh-huh. Wow. And you can, will you forward us that list so we can put it on the show notes page? Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. My pleasure. Fantastic. So what final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? What final piece of advice? I want to say the same thing that, that Wendell Berry and Wes Jackson tell people. They quote Alexander Pope. Consult the genius of the place. We're, we're, we're farmers, we're gardeners, we're urban farmers. Urban farmers are, are intricate systems of all sorts of moving parts. We have, we have things that other farmers don't have to deal with. We have neighbors and local politicians uh-huh. that maybe don't appreciate what we're doing <laughs> or trying to do. Yeah. We have all sorts of, of, of different, we have volunteers and students and parents and coworkers. We have so many things happening that we, we really need to consult the genius of the place and ask the place, how do you want me mm. to farm you? And sometimes in one farm or one area, one space, there can be, there can be micro spaces like at the community center that I'm working at now. There is one area that just gives itself to raise beds. And for that, we're actually using the, the big bag bed system. And then there's another area that gives itself to earth boxes and another that gives itself to just very traditional in-ground, in-ground dirt. gardening. Yeah. Yep. And then the other area where we're using straw. So in each place, consult the genius of the place. Even even if like we have a politician that's telling us, no, you can't do this here. Uh-huh. Consult the genius of the place. Ask the place, can I farm here? And if so, how? But we have to we have to be in relation. We have to be in relation with the place. Wow. That is beautifully, beautifully said. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Ben. It has been a treat chatting with you. My pleasure. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? How can they find out what and where you're doing what you're doing? Well, they can they can come to my blog it's growinggreens.net okay 
and I have lots of, of blog posts. I'm frequently writing blog posts, mm-hmm. and um, they can. Uh, I, I try to post once a week. Sometimes it's very specific on technique. Sometimes, it, usually, it's more philosophical, mm-hmm. and uh, and they can they can find me like that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And that's it for today. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.